Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final Bruise Banana FC match-reviewed podcast of the 2022-2023 season. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. Yesterday, Arsenal wrapped up the season with a 5-0 win over Wolves, and I don't know about you guys, but this season has absolutely flown by. Maybe because, you know, there was just a massive roller coaster. We thought we were going to win the title. We, you know, there's all this drama that unfolded at the end of the season. Or maybe it's just a sign that I'm getting older, but it feels like yesterday we were sitting back watching the preseason tour in America with our new talisman, Gabriel Jesus, hoping that we could finally return to Champions League football. Fast forward nine months, and we have done much more than that. We finished the season five points behind the champions, Manchester City. And you know maybe that makes you even more disappointed knowing how close we got. But for me, I guess, I think that just makes me even more excited for this summer and really for next season and kind of knowing that the steps that we need to make are kind of clear that it's been a little clear for a month for a few months you know where the positions we can improve how we can improve our team but we have an entire summer to talk transfer rumors targets debate over whether Declan Rice is a 6 or an 8 so we can kind of table that for now talk about the match against Wolves definitely want to talk a lot about Granite Xhaka I think he's somebody who deserves you know the uh, a good long discussion about his transformation and do you want to you know reflect a little bit on the season with me today is Luke you can find on Twitter at Echo Coon. Hello Luke. Hello is it is it flown by for you? Because it feels when, long for me. Ronaldo to, started this season in Manchester United. <laughs> so day to day it's long, but when I th- when I, I guess look back and be like, oh wow, it's already you know the end of the season that I, I, I guess I think the last it's month's flown by, yeah. The last month's yeah. probably. Um, no, it's, it's to me it's sort of like quite a long system uh, system quite a long season but to, to be honest like as as cut wrenching as the maybe the last third of it has been I'm quite sad it's over to be honest because for the most part I've really really enjoyed it I'm just sad that we'll never see that black awaken again because that, that's the real travesty knowing that's a crime. especially what we have especially what we, we have uh, we fully coming up <laughs> Also with us today is Ben. You can find him on Twitter at Ben Browning Three. Hello, Ben. Hello. I was just thinking I should have worn the black away kit now. Guess um, <laughs> guess plenty of use from me. Don't worry. I love it. Incredible. I kit. never was able to get one. Every time I went to buy one, it was you out should. of stock. And it are they, was are they not selling depressing. it still? We haven't released no. the new away kit yet. So no, it's nowhere to be found. It's very depressing. So I, I, I think I, I bought mine literally at like half past nine the day it came out because I saw how how it looked and I was like well I only usually buy one kit a year if that so I'll get I the other one stick the boot in but I've got it as well and it's really really nice <laughs> oh see I have loads <laughs> loads of my friends have it and I ha- I have a like to I have a lot of Arsenal kits um I just I have a lot of just kits in general and yeah I don't know why I just never bought any of them this year even though I loved them I just mm. kept I thought- thinking I was gonna buy it and then it would go out of stock and then when it would come in stock I'd be too late or something yeah so I, th- I thought the the home kit was was nice, but I prefer this one, you know, without the collar. And I know there's all the jokes about what the gold actually represents, but it does take me back to sort of like 2003, 2004, 2005, that sort of time when we had the 
the white sleeves and the red like uh, block color on the front. And I just thought yesterday, especially, I mean, it was in the sunshine on a Sunday afternoon, so everything looks a bit nicer. But it was it was absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I definitely when it was first released, you know, let's talk about the home kit a little bit. When it was first released, I, I wasn't sold on it. You know, I liked the gold, but definitely seeing it you know, on TV on the players and even you know fans in the crowd, it, it looked so much better than it did when it was leaked. I think I don't know mm-hmm. about you guys if you kind of had that first reaction of being you know it's I liked it, but now you've got a bit it, of a bugbear about it, it, haven't you, Luke? I did, yeah. To be honest, um, it, it definitely looks a lot nicer now. To be honest. I've definitely come around to it a bit more than I did. I'm still not 100 percent on it, but I'd like to be. And admittedly, these are <laughs> these are world class athletes that are wearing it, so it probably would look <laughs> a bit nicer than the most people. But it did look really nice yesterday, even with with the uh, Invincibles record down the side. You have to pay, you know, for the authentic version for that. Yeah, That's my only gripe. Quid. Yeah, it, it's it's nuts. So Ben, before we dive right into Arsenal. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, how the table shaped up and looking at the relegation battle, how it unfolded and your thoughts on Leicester and Leeds going down on the final day. Yeah, I think I think Leeds were were down before the game even kicked off. Um, I live in Leeds, so there was a lot of trepidation. And then it was just the way that I got the notification of like kickoff and then two minutes, hurricane goal. Like, oh, <laughs> you couldn't even like make it interesting. You had to concede immediately. Um, but I think they 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 were resigned to their fate. I actually thought they'd get something against Spurs, um, but I also thought that Everton slash Leicester would also get something in their final games, and that's what happened. You know, both of them won. I feel a bit. Actually, do I feel sorry for Leicester? I don't feel sorry for Leicester, but they have a really good side. Like you look through the pl- the sort of names that they've put out, you've got Madison, Barnes, Ian Acho, even like Tielemans, um, Castagna. They've all been linked with big moves to like top six clubs in the last couple of seasons. And, you know, to, to some extent, Leeds have got the same sort of thing with like Tyler Adams and Nonto. It just felt like they, they were the worst teams, but the, the level of player has gone up so much. And maybe that's because, you know, the Premier League can obviously pay a lot more for players now, but also maybe the fact that we're so much more exposed to these players, like we can read about so much about them and know know all of their strengths and weaknesses. And like before, whereas like if it was I don't know Bolton Wanderers going down and they had a centre back, um, trying to think of a good example. I was going to say David Weeter, but he was actually decent. Um, but someone that like you knew a bit about, but not that much. It would be very different. Whereas now, like when Leicester or Leeds go down, you've got these players that are on stupid amounts of money and like the national team regulars like Weston McKenney and obviously Tyler Adams and um, Timothy Castagna and obviously Madison's in the England squad. It just feels like the level of Premier League player is so much higher than it was like 10, 15 years ago. But then on the flip side, of course, everyone tells you that this is the easiest league. This is the easiest season we've had in ages. So make of that what you will. Yeah, it's definitely not very often that a team goes down and immediately you have reports, you know, the, speaking on, you know, James Madison that he's probably going to command close to 50 million pounds and 40 to 50 million pounds. And that's just, you don't often see that with teams that are relegated. And I think with Leicester and Leeds, I think they both deserve to go down if there's anybody that deserves to go down in the sense that, you know, with Leeds specifically, like they fired. Jesse Marsh and yes, Jesse Marsh was not doing well, but then they didn't make, you know, they kind of didn't have a plan in place for what they were going to do. 
and then bringing in Big Sam with what four games left in the team that he put out on the final day, needing to win to potentially stay up playing five defenders, playing like a defensive midfielder in their forward line, basically like it just was not those kind of decisions from the boardroom. You know, you don't think you think it's only all about the players, you know, just yes, Leicester leads, they have squads. They're probably better than Everton or better than, you know, some of the teams that are down at the bottom, but what is done in in the boardroom does make a difference. And looking at Leicester, like I, I think their season was completely ruined by what they did at goalkeeper, not replacing Casper Schmeichel with, with Danny Ward, who was pretty terrible. And that when you're leaking goals at the back, it's kind of you're destined to go down. And yes, they have players that are good. Again, you know, replace you know, switching out uh, uh, Brendan Rodgers. Like that was just kind of a disaster from the the boardroom and kind of man- handling managers and kind of definitely is the uh, blueprint for not how to not handle a relegation battle from both of those teams. I think Luke looking at those two teams specifically, because obviously Southampton has been relegated for a little bit. Do you have any thoughts that we haven't said, or I guess more on the summer side, any, do you think that it's likely that Arsenal will be linked to any of these players like a James Madison, like a Tielemans, obviously a lot of uh, history there with those two players. Yeah, maybe to be fair. Like I think that you've got, you know, Liverpool have signed, like historically signed some players like they signed Wijnaldum from Newcastle and things like that. Um, Spurs signed Sissoko as well. So like players that go down aren't always bad. It's it's not always something that kind of means that the, the player isn't quality. Sometimes just things as well, like stuff around the team, like, like Leicester had like eight players that are finishing the season out of contract. I think I saw someone say, which is just something that's a bit mental in terms of squad planning. Like, <laughs> It, it, it's it's a team game, you know, and if you've got eight players that don't know if they're going to be there or not at the end of the season, then that's obviously going to be destabilising. But also, one of the really interesting things is one of those rare seasons where all three promoted teams have stayed up. And when that happens, you always know there's going to be a few wild cards thrown into the, the relegation battle. But I admit, like, I'm surprised to see Leicester go down because, I mean, in recent years, they've been fairly formidable. Not amazing, maybe, um, at times, but but really formidable, obviously, like Brendan Rodgers built something quite good there, but it did feel like over the last few seasons, the investment, you know, shrunk a bit. Like uh, this season, they they sold for fun. I thought like 70 mil and they didn't really, really reinvest it in, in much, if anything at all. And then I think when, when you sack Rodgers, which is fair because they're doing really badly, and the person you turn to is, is Dean Smith, then you're in trouble because this guy isn't what I'd call a definite Premier League manager anyway. And then same as you're saying with Leeds, um, when they sacked Bielsa last season, it felt like they went with Marsh because they wanted to go with someone that at least still played some form of offensive football. And then when Marsh goes, you kind of have Harry Grazia that is like, like kind of in between anything. Like I don't even understand what Harry Grazia really does. And then straight, then it's straight to Big Sam. They've literally gone from Jesse Marsh to Big Sam in a space of one season, which is like panic room tactics, if anything. So they were just kind of hoping for the best. I just think that really like, these teams shouldn't have been finishing below the likes of Nottingham Forest, the likes of Bournemouth, but they've shown that if you're organised and if you kind of stick to the plan and and if you kind of have a, a good fan base behind you, then they're like what you can achieve. And and to be fair to to those teams, they've kind of pulled out the bag. And then you know you look at the likes of Leeds, Leicester, and Everton, and none of them deserve to stay up. Everton were just kind of the the lucky lucky loser that kind of got the extra point or two. 
Ben, let's look at you know, really briefly on the teams that got promoted from the championship. We have Burnley, Sheffield United, and obviously the big story is Luton, who got promoted, the, the first team ever to go from non-league to the Premier League, a, a true football manager story that we all know and love. Do you have any thoughts, I guess, on, on those teams coming up next season or you know, kind of, I guess, just talking about Luton in, in that away end, having to go through you know the back gardens of, of what a couple of houses there that is it's pretty funny and the stark difference to you know the money that is in the Premier League and these billion dollar stadiums. Yeah, it's it's quite um it's quite nice to see Luton come up, both in a old school football kind of vibe with the stadium, but also in because there's there's always the idea that it's sort of the same pool of teams that go down and come up because of the way the parachute payments work. Um so it's really nice to see someone that doesn't fit that mold come in. Um, Burnley, I'm really excited to see. Uh, I know we, as Arsenal fans, hate Burnley and with fair points. Um, but under Vincent Company, they've become an actually really attractive football team to watch. So it's really interesting to see how, because obviously he signed a new five-year deal, so it's really interesting to see how they progress under him and how they, they take to the Premier League. I think that'll be you know, fascinating. I think there'll be a team that might surprise a lot of a lot of people next season as an early prediction, depending on their transfer business, of course. But in terms of the blueprint they've got, it's really, really interesting. And then Sheffield United, well, I mean, I'm a I was at university in Sheffield, so I'm really ha- I'm always happy to see them do well. And obviously Wednesday are playing now to try and get into league uh, the championship. So um yeah, it's good to see it's good to see that city doing well. And I think they bring a nice bit of balance to the Premier League. It's it's the, good that two teams from the north came up. Um, just just for because we have about seven teams from London, so it's nice to have a bit of variety. So let's uh, switch gears and talk about Arsenal, who won convincingly five nil, and it was pretty apparent early on that Wolves wanted nothing more than to be on a beach uh, far, far away from London. And once we scored early on, it, it was a party on the pitch. It was a party in the stands. I know our, our WhatsApp group, we were just talking about how fun it was to watch this. And Luke, do you think there's much merit in you know ending the season with a fun performance like this, both from a fan perspective and also for the club to kind of end the season on a high I mean, in, in terms of next season, it probably doesn't mean much. But I just think for the day, like this, this is it was the last day of the season, and obviously, if you don't win that game, then it just puts a bit of a dampener on what has been a really, really good season because like our form hasn't been good over the last um, last third of it. So I just think that even though realistically that game isn't going to change anything of the future of Arsenal, but it means that we get more of a nice day with the fans in the stadium, with the people that we that were watching on TV, that we get to watch Arsenal as we've seen Arsenal for the majority of the season, which has been a really nice to watch, dominant goal scoring team. And you know, have it the new kit in the sunshine. And then afterwards we get to kind of all, all the players to walk around and and the and the players to kind of clap them and sing their name, like the videos of the Saliba song and all the, the videos of Jacka sing of the, the songs for Jacka and things like that. It's a nice way to cap it off, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean, in terms of importance, it's probably not important, but I just think that in terms of short-term gratification, it's just, it feels like after how good a season it's been, we deserve just to have that that nice game at the end, just to, just to top it all off. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I don't think it matters at all in terms of, you know, how we start preseason or anything like that. But I do think, I, I think it matters a lot more from a fan's perspective. The summer transfer months can often be long and, and hard for fans and people by the end of it start, you know, arguing back and forth about, you know, the dumbest, you know, minutia of the the transfer rumors or, or the team and stuff. And so to kind of have that little bit of positive momentum into the summer, I think, you know, can go a long way in kind of keeping the positive attitude around the fan base, which, you know, it, it's obviously there because the team is doing so well in a 5-0 win. If we had finished eighth, wouldn't have mattered at all in terms of positive momentum. But, you know, finishing off looking at the table, seeing, oh, you know, we were five points behind City. It wasn't 15 like it could have could have been after a couple of bad performances. Yeah, I, I think it's something, it's not nothing, but it's not everything. So it's just a, a little nice note to kind of end the season. I think the biggest talking point from this game is Granite Xhaka. I think it's been all but confirmed by Arsenal and by uh, Bayer Leverkusen that he's going to leave this summer. And Granit Xhaka's redemption arc has been one of the highlights of the season for me. It's It was incredible, I guess, from the Premier League script writers that he would score a brace in his final performance, you know, capping off this transformation from you know, a castaway player, somebody that we thought was leaving you know, a couple of years ago, we thought, oh, he was going to go for to Roma for what was it, like two and a half million euros, just basically pennies to because you know, the the relationship between the fans and the player was had crossed the point of no return. But you know, he has he's transformed into this player who's not only just a leader off the pitch but on the pitch and who has shown that he can make an impact in the final third consistently. Yes, he has not. There, there's going to be all summer. We're going to talk, be talking about upgrading that position, but for now, let's kind of just talk about what you know, who Granit Xhaka is as an Arsenal player. Luke, when you look back at Granit Xhaka's time at Arsenal, what are your biggest takeaways and kind of thoughts, and, and what are you going to remember most? Well, it's been emotional for starters. Um, I don't know. I think that obviously Xhaka's Arsenal career obviously comes with incredible highs and incredible lows, but I'm. Um, the main takeaways I take from it is more just it, it's it's the highs really. It's I, I I try not think about you know the the Crystal Palace events or you know or, or some of the mistakes he's made because I feel like that's been trumped by the cup final performances. I think in both the FA Cup finals we won whilst he was here, he was brilliant in both finals. Like one where he had Ramsey next to him and one where he had Sabios next to him, he was like a, a real leader at at times we needed to because you know we've not gone through the best of times in terms of the expectations of Arsenal over the last, maybe um, uh, it, like since Jack has been here, but for him to have, have stepped up in those cup finals is a massive thing because those things go down in history. He he gets to leave the club now with over 200 appearances. I want to say, is it, is it nearly 300? I'm not pretty sure. He gets to leave with loads of appearances. He's quite high up on the list of Premier League appearances for Arsenal and he gets to leave, as someone that's going to go down in club history as someone that won cups for the club and and someone that that played like a really big part in that so i think that before the arteta or the 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 highlight of the arteta years i like to think of that in terms of the um the cup finals and i think over the last two seasons i think that he's been one of the the major players of of kind of bridging that gap of the old Arsenal to the new Arsenal because he was 
like one of the only remaining Wenger players. Like I think it's just him, Holden and Elneny that are left. And um, he's been probably the one player from the Wenger era that's really cemented himself in this Arteta team and cemented himself in a really, really good Arteta team. So I feel like if he'd have gone maybe two seasons ago and we kind of went on a similar trajectory, which we may have done, then everyone would have thought, oh, Xhaka going was a catalyst for us being good. But now that he's been around and been a big part of the catalyst for being good, I like that he can leave. People will say, that guy played his part. Like that guy was a leader on and off the pitch. He played brilliant football over the last two seasons, but especially this season. And he gets to go out now after scoring two goals. I think I saw someone say it's the first time he's ever scored a brace in his professional career, which is pretty mad. He gets to go out with people not only singing his name, but actually the the crowd singing that they wanted him to stay, which is probably the biggest turnaround that that a player can have. I think it's an incredible redemption arc. And, and to be fair, as, as sad as I am to see him go, I do think that short of lifting the Premier League, this is one of the, the best ways to do it. Yeah, I think through Granit Xhaka, he, he's somebody that has, I have learned a lot from in terms of, you know, just like player development. Luke, you're talking about how, you know, he's gone through all of these different lows and highs in the development of Arsenal. And, and he is a player that, you know, the reason that he has stayed around for so long is because, you know, as soon as us fans start to say, oh, you know, Granit Xhaka can't do this, Granit Xhaka, you know, he is, he's at his limits. We need to, you know, he's not, not athletic enough to be that deep line playmaker. He, he you know, isn't press resistant enough. Oh, now Granit Xhaka is playing, you know, in the final third. Oh, well, Granit Xhaka, you know, that's not the type of player he is back to goal. And, and he just consistently, I guess, reminds me that, you know, players, I guess it matters, you know, way more than we think, or I guess that I think, you know, the, the support and the structure around a player to kind of accentuate their strengths and kind of minimize weaknesses. That obviously sounds really simple, but, you know, you know, thinking about Granit Xhaka, like I would have never expected that he would be, you know, he's obviously not a prolific goal scorer this season, but, you know, a very impactful goal scorer. And yeah, it, you know, I, I definitely think he's going to be missed for what he did off the pitch, but I do think on the pitch, we're, we're probably going to miss him a little bit more than we think. Ben, do you have any final thoughts on Granit Xhaka? And maybe touch on that, you know, that hug between him and uh, El Nenny after he scored a second goal. Yeah, that was that was quite cute, wasn't it? Um, I am. Um... I was certain that he was going to get a hat trick. It felt written in the stars when he scored the second one. When he and, when he fluffed yeah. that third, yeah. Yeah. oh my gosh, you just saw it in his face. <laughs> I, I thought, you know, we just just start just now. start diving, yeah, dive in the box, get a pen, Xhaka convert it, believe it or not, because that's the thing. It did feel like kind of a, like a testimonial by the end. It was you saw like him walking around the pitch at the end really slowly, and everyone serenading him and. It is really weird because it's difficult to think of a player that has had a similar sort of turnaround. Um, maybe like Joe Linton at Newcastle in the, that, that was a complete change of position, but in the, he was bought in for big money um, and never really justified his price tag. Xhaka was much different because, you know, he always had those um, explosives and, theatrics in his locker when it came to getting sent off or challenge you know making ridiculous tackles or letting losing his cool but he has yeah he's turned it around completely and it's weird because 
I can't think of the the one memory I'll have of, of Granit Xhaka this season for as good as he's been is um, the North London derby where Mick, where he w- walks past Mikel Arteta and Mikel Arteta sort of turns around and goes, oh shit, he's about to start something. <laughs> so he just runs after him <laughs> like like a father just sort of chasing a, a child that's been let off the leash. It's just he like, just saw Arteta's yeah. face the moment it, he changed. It's like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was almost like I've done so much work with you to make you a better player. Do not go and undo it by, you know, <laughs> rising to the bait or whatever. Um, he's, he has been excellent this season. Um, for for all he, we we understand and accept his flaws, and as you say, the system that he's in helps accentuate his ability. But also, I think a lot of people took for granted maybe his leadership on and off the pitch. We see a lot of him coming out to take responsibility for things. And even in the all or nothing documentary, when he got sent off against Liverpool, you know, he was saying, Oh, I'll take the responsibility guys. Don't worry. Um, and after the Newcastle game, when we threw away top four, you know, he came out and made that, made that interview that went viral afterwards saying players don't have the balls for it. So I think he's done a lot of really good work in nurturing this young team as much as we like to, maybe focus on the Martinelli's and the Erdegaard's and the Sackers and the Smith Rose and the Salibas in terms of how good they've become. I think he's helped them a lot. Um, you know, I think I'd like to see what they say, but to me, it always feels like he's a bit of a, a big brother to them or like a, a role model for the way that they maybe should behave and the, ded- the hard work and the dedication that he puts in as well. is like something that I think a lot of the squad, especially when, before our test came a lot of the score because could have learned a lot from. Yeah, I think that that's all really well said, Ben. Luke, I want to talk a little bit about Martin Odegaard. Um, he's obviously our captain this season. And with that, he has a lot of expectations. And I think it's safe to say that he delivered on those. He's, he was our top scorer, scored 15 goals, had seven assists. And I think he easily could have had double-digit assists this season. And I just think about a, a couple opportunities that Granite Xhaka had where you know, if somebody that was a little bit more uh, effective in front of goal was on the end of some of the Odegaard uh, flicks and tricks that he would have had, we would have scored a couple more goals there. Kind of what is your you know, takeaways of Martin Odegaard, specifically, you know, big season, but also this performance, I guess, kind of was very emblematic of what Odegaard has done this season. He was at his creative best. He was you know, pretty much dictating the entire match. And yes, the match didn't matter. Wolves were basically just standing around letting us do whatever we wanted. But you know, th- that's kind of how Martin Odegaard has played all year. Yeah, I think he's becoming a real symbol of this Arsenal team, to be honest. I think that whilst you know Saka from Hale End will always be the poster boy, I think that Odegaard is really kind of stepping up to the mantle as captain. And even though he may not do it in the typical boisterous way that most of the media report they want their captains to be. I do think that he's really becoming uh, a player that not only influences in how he plays, because it just feels like he is the conductor. He is the guy that um, uh, the play really does go through him. I, do, I also think that you can see in how he interacts with other players, like how he supports them, how he picks them off the ground, that there is a respect that the that these guys have for Martin Odegaard. And I think that it's his trajectory as well, is that this isn't a guy that's, you know, in his late 20s playing at a really good level, but realistically he's going to come down at some point. This is a player that could still very feasibly get quite a lot better than he currently is now, which I think is probably something that should be quite scary for the rest of the league because no one would have anticipated him to hit 
15 Premier League goals this season, but he's done it. And he's had shown that he has in him to adapt himself to become a goal scorer. He's making those late runs. His finishing's been much better this season. And like you, I think if we had a few more people in the team that have a bit more running power to kind of to, to make those runs, which I think, you know, the team will evolve and I think naturally will get more offensive as we have done over this, uh, the course of time that Arteta has been here, then Odegaard's going to have even more people that he can potentially like hit with those line breaking passes that he's become pretty famous for. So I just think that we got such an incredible coup by getting this guy in because it's it's that he's he's hit at the moment, every target and, and probably gone beyond every target that we could feasibly accept from him in a, in a pretty short amount of time. And he sets himself up now that going into next season, let's say just hit a 15 Premier League goals, like I think it's like seven or eight assists. He's going into next season in incredible mindset where um, he like that the team know how good they are and how good he is. And we can rework the team to influence his strengths even more. So he's one of those players that I think other teams should be very, very frightful of. And I think that he can literally only get, go up and get better than he is currently now. Ben, let's talk a little bit about Kieran Tierney. Um, he was subbed on at the end of this game. And you know, he's a player that is you know, one of the fan favorites. I think that everybody both really you know, has loved Kieran Tierney and, and similar to Grant Xhaka that, you know, they, you know, Tierney was our best player for a lot of the seasons where, we were, we were not at our best. And I think while he is a fan favorite, I think a lot of fans would also un- do also understand that the team has kind of evolved away from him. Not that he is you know, not good enough to be, you know, in a top four team, but just that the style of play that we play is not suitable for his skills. And, and then he's likely leaving with this being, you know, his farewell, I would imagine kind of similar to the Grand Shacker, like what, what are your big takeaways of tyranny and, and kind of how, you know, his time at Arsenal unfolded. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because he's um, he's always been a player that we've been very excited to have, um, but as always struggled with injuries. He's never really been able to nail down his, his spot because he's missed, you know, a third or half or whatever of a season through various things. And it's sad to see that he'll be leaving like this. Like, it, it looks, you're right, it looks like he's leaving based on all speculation and all the pointers on the pitch and, you know, how Kivio was playing as a left-back yesterday instead of Tierney. Um, it just, yeah, it feels like there could have been so much more, but he, it's not, it's not so much that he didn't evolve. It's maybe just that we asked him to do things that he's not comfortable doing, and it's it's just a bad fit for how Mikel Arteta wants to play football um, when it's a back four. You know, in a, in, a, in the back three, when we won the FA Cup, he was excellent. I remember, I think he got the assist for Aubameyang's winner. Um, it's just that in this system, he doesn't have the correct tools to play in the position that he feels he should be playing and that Arteta wants him to play. So he feels like a sort of player that we can offload for a decent fee and I have no doubts that he'll go on to be really, really good somewhere else. And if he can sort his injury problems, then he'll become great somewhere else. It's just that at Arsenal, we've, we've moved away from the sort of player that he is. And I don't know. It feels it, it is a bit sad because he's you know he's one of our favorite, one of my favorite players when when he first arrived from Celtic. So 
it's 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 a bit sad, but you also you feel like it's the best move for all parties. And I think there's a lot of that this summer for Arsenal, you know, whether it be Xhaka or if Smith Rowe leaves, it feels like it's the best move for all parties, for, for Arsenal to get the money, for the players to go and rebuild their careers somewhere or move to somewhere where they fit better. And also, you know, for Arsenal to be able to buy, bring in players who fit the system better. It's weird, as I say, as I said last week, we seem to have a streamlined plan and that doesn't usually happen. So it's quite it's quite nice to see yeah it, it definitely does seem like you know selling players like you said it we're no longer offloading players that you know dead weight players maybe you know one one last remaining player in uh, uh nicholas pepe but other than that you know everybody like you said even think of like Balogun. you know what's best for you know the player what's best for arsenal and you know with tierney there's gonna be no hard feelings from the arsenal fan base and probably you know i would hope not from tierney as well and if he does end up going to newcastle which it's been very heavily reported that i could definitely see him doing really really well there and so yeah it's sad but also you know it was good while it lasted luke one last thought here before we wrap up Let's talk about the fact that we finished a whole uh, 24 points uh, above Spurs this season. Let's laugh at that really quickly before we leave. Well, I mean, no European football. I think, I don't know exactly where Villa were when Emery came in, but I'm pretty sure when he did come in, people were still pipping Spurs for Champions League play. So for uh, for Villa to come back and Spurs to fall enough that, that Villa ended up pipping Spurs to Conference League is pretty crazy in itself. And... I've seen um <laughs> I've seen a lot of Spurs fans on, on Twitter to be fair. Like there's there's that guy that keeps making flags with um with stuff That's about so stupid. It stuff. It's almost like there's there's certain fan bases I'd accept it from. But it feels to me like as much as, you know, criticism of us is absolutely fair. Like I I've seen it from loads of people, like I don't blame them at all. But even though I know Spurs fans would love to deflect that from their season, even for a second in their own minds and kind of look at us and say, oh, you know, they didn't do that amazing thing that they weren't really meant to do. And so we're going to take fun of them. And instead, really, for them to focus on the fact that, as you said, with 24 points in front of them, they have no European football. They're probably going to be losing Harry Kane. They're not really going to have a lot of money to reinvest. They're getting rejected by managers left, right and centre. And you know who who knows who they even get as manager. Last time they went on this type of down the the rabbit hole goose hunt for a for a new manager, end up with Nuno Espirito Santo, and that went really really well. So you know, I'm fully in, in up fairness, for for return of him. San, Santo has just won the uh, Saudi Pro League with Al Ittihad, so he adds to the uh, the Was list that of the team managers. Be Ronaldo, he... yeah, yeah, yes. Wow. So he uh, he adds to the list of managers that have left Spurs and immediately gone on to win things. <laughs> um, just, just throwing it out there. Even Mourinho are throwing like is throwing shade at, at Spurs at this point in time. Like it, it, it just feels like <laughs> they are down bad. They are properly in the muds. So I think that um, uh, <laughs> as as much as we maybe didn't achieve the incredible thing that we hoped we were going to achieve, but you know when when you when you compare the two clubs, I think that it's not really something that you can compare properly because what looks to me like because quite obvious is that we're just on the up and Spurs are really going to be struggling in very uh, true Harry Kane and Spurs fashion. Harry Kane, you know, has now scored the most goals on the final day in premier league history, another useless individual award for him and a team that, yeah, like you said, 
is going nowhere and have a, you know, their talisman is on the way out and we'll probably go on, hopefully not to win trophies, but, you know, go on to do better things than what that club is going to do in the next couple of years. I think that is a good place for us to wrap things up. We will be back later this week, you know, to kind of do a more in-depth season review, give out some awards or team of the season. Hope you guys enjoyed this uh, Wolves match reaction. Hope you guys enjoyed all of the content that we put out this first couple of months of the Bruise Banana FC podcast. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. Thank you to Luke. You can find on Twitter at Echelkoon and Ben. You can find on Twitter at Ben Browning 3 We'll catch you guys later. Erdegaard is joining in and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Yeah.